Hello, Northeast Christian Church, and welcome to our online services. Thank you for joining us today. If you miss any part of today's service and you want to catch it again, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcast, YouTube, or Spotify. We also encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay up to date on everything we have going on here at the church. God bless and enjoy the rest of the service. Thank you, Boaz. I'm going to miss you, man. But every five minutes when we were in the city of Jerusalem, we were like, where's Sam? Where's Sam? A uh, couple of things real quick, just so I can set my heart and calibrate it. This is a very rough week for me. Now, you, you all have rough weeks and rough lives, you know, so... Uh, we're not alone, but this was a particularly rough one for me. I was with my father, who, of course, is, you know, withering from COPD. He'll go to the hospital. He'll get better. He'll come back. He'll catch pneumonia. He'll go there. He'll come back. He'll have good days and bad days. And, and any of you who have journeyed with somebody understand, you know, the stress of, like, what am I going to do? Where are my parents going to? Can I take them in? Can I? My mom has memory issues. So for, for uh, taking her out of where she is familiar for her is complicated, but leaving her to care for herself or my dad who can't care for either of them is, it's very complicated. And if you would just give special prayer to that, more so while I was taking care of my father, um, who I love and adore and is my hero, I lost the equivalent of a father in our family on my wife's side. We call him Uncle Bobby, and he passed away of a heart attack. Um, my wife was um, on a journey I was, we were going to do two things. We were going to leave the boys alone. That was the first problem right there. She was going to New York City to help our missionary, Judy Minch, who is going to work with children in Ukraine, go to New York City, get, uh, go to the embassy and the consulate, get some uh, paperwork done and all that. And then, then while she was there, she called me up and she was so excited. She's like, Paul, I, I just want to go down and see our friends in Tennessee. And so I just said, I said to myself, you know what? If I tell her what's going on right now, she'll stop, she'll come back, and it won't matter. And I just was like, go, honey, go. And she just had this spirit of adventure. She drove down to Tennessee, and while she was down there, once she made that decision of what she wanted to do, I just was able to say to her, honey, I, I, I wanted to wait for the right moment to tell you this, but uh, Uncle Bobby passed away, and, um, and she started crying, and she was like, I'm crying. You know, she, she knew how close he was to me. And uh, so as you kind of go through the week, you know how sometimes the, any of you who've grieved for a long period of time, you know, grieving and shock is one thing, but when you're dragged through grief for a long period of time, it's almost like if you ask me how I'm doing, here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm good. I'm good. And I really am. I'm good. But there's still a heaviness in my heart because of this. And uh, um but I want you to know I'm good. I ask you to pray for my father who is panicking and really needs Jesus to comfort him. And for me on Monday as uh, Ethan and I go down to the funeral for, uh, for Uncle Bob and uh, um, in the midst of all of this, I feel like God's given me a word for you. And this is what we do. And so I want you to know I'm good. I'm good. And you're going to be better once you hear what I have to share with you about discovering purpose. So if you'd pray with me, let's ask God to speak 
in this place today. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would speak. It says in the book of Revelation that when Jesus opened his mouth, it was like the sound of many right, rushing waters. It was, like, it was like Niagara Falls. It was the thunder of, of a water course. Lord, I pray that your word and your truth and the, the things that I share today would flood our souls with significance and decisiveness and commitment to your kingdom and your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm looking forward to eating, and I bet you're wondering, why did he wear a suit on a cookout day? It's real easy. I got a change of clothes in my car, and I'm going to look like a Fenway fan when I get out. So don't worry about it. The only problem is, is I have a hat. It doesn't say New York Yankees, but it says New York. It's my only gray hat that matches the outfit, so don't hold it against me, all right? Okay. Our purpose in this church that we believe from the Great Command and the Great Commission, Acts 1-8, and Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is that Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, not make gatherings, not make churches, not make, make disciples, disciplined ones. And what's really deeply connected to that is Jesus said that teach them to obey all things. So our beliefs and our behavior need to be in sync with each other, or we're just kind of a walking contradiction, right? Now it doesn't mean, and you've been in this church and you know, we despise legalism. There is enough legalism in the world to let everybody walk around and, and bow our heads in shame and disgrace and, and say we're not worthy, and th that's not the point. Jesus makes us worthy. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for Jesus. This is weird, preaching in a suit. Normally, I'm up here in jeans all the time, but all right, I'm going to flow with it. Okay. I'm a bit sophisticated. Um, but that... Our church's purpose here is to help you to know who God is and define freedom. That's vertical. Knowing God, you have you have a, you you at some point in your life need to have a direct connect with Him, a direct conversation, which He reciprocates. Believe it or not, He responds to say, "Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Forgive my sins. Lord, I accept Jesus' sacrifice in my place." I can't promise to be perfect because I won't, but I'll continue to walk in your grace. And I'm going to commit myself to your teachings. I'm going to commit myself to living out the life that you say in your word is truth. And where I see a contradiction, I'm going to work at changing that. But each step of the way, you're going to, you're going to grace me. That's, that's how we come to know God. And then we begin to find freedom is when we realize just how hard that process is. We can't do it alone. We need other people in that process. But then the third step that is part of our church and is part of that class next, which if you've been in this church and you've never gone to next, you need to, starting next week at nine, right through those walls over there, is this, discover purpose. If I were to ask you, what's the purpose of your life? What would you say? What would you think? Why are you here? That's the big question. This is like the, the big question of the universe. Why are we here? What, is, what am I here for? And, and discovering purpose is so important for our life because you can either pass the time or you can begin to seek out 
from the, the hand and heart of God for him to show you that your life isn't a mistake, that you're not defective, you're designed, that he knows where you are. He's put you in the right places at the right time, in the right spaces. Your personality isn't like anyone else. You're one in a, you're, you're not one in a million or one in a billion. You are one of a kind. There is no one like you. There's no fingerprint the same. There is no snowflake alike. He has uniquely made you who you are, not to be like somebody else, but for you to be more like you, because when you're more like you, you're showing the world more of him. We bear the image of God. But finding purpose is a, a difficult thing. And there's a passage of scripture found in the book of Esther. I love the female heroes of the Bible. Uh, we are a church and a denomination that believes that women can be leaders, that women can be ministers, that women can be, if they so choose, pastors. We believe uh, in the heroes of the Bible. And some of the greatest heroes of the Bible, guess what? They are females. Who was at the feet of Jesus when he was being crucified? Mary, Martha, Mary Magdalene. Where were the disciples? They were hiding. You have Deborah in the Old Testament who was a judge, not a sub-judge, but a judge, a king ruling over Israel, letting God be king over all of them. And then, of course, probably the greatest and most uh, elegant female leader and story in the Bible is the story of Esther. And her story is found in the book named after her. But in simple, let me just sum it up and get to what we're talking about here. Esther is a young woman. She is an Israelite. She is beautiful. Now, I don't know what it is that we think that if somebody is beautiful that they're conceited, but I want you to know I'm not conceited, <laughs> okay? I'm not. Now, you may look at me and say I'm not as beautiful as him, but that's okay. I want you to know I'm not conceited. I don't know why we go around the world. In fact, you know, uh, Dove, the, the soap Dove, the company, did a sketching where they had one artist sketch the woman the way she looked, and then they had a criminal detective come in and say, describe yourself to me, just like they say, describe the guy who committed this crime. And they drew a picture, and it was amazing how every single one of these beautiful women described themselves as horrible and ugly. You're not alone in having a low self-image of yourself, but please don't do that because you are made in the image of God. You're beautiful. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're not defective. You're designed. You're not an accident. You're an intention. And he wants you to be part of his purpose. And that, most of all, is showing the world who he is when it all comes down to whether or not we'll step up and step into the purposes that God has for us. Esther's beauty was actually intentional by God because the king Xerxes, and actually the movie 300 probably gives a better picture of what this guy was like. He wasn't like, do you ever see that there's a, a movie, a night with the king or whatever, and they're like, come in, my beautiful love, you know, and it's like, here comes Xerxes, kill them all. You know, he was, he was a rough character. He was not a believer. Um, if you walked into his palace, into his court, and you were not invited, either you most likely were killed unless he extended his, his scepter to you. And so, long story short, 
while the Jews are in captive in the, what is today Iran, and they were taken captive by the Persians, they were in there, this King Xerxes gathers together all the beautiful women across the country, begins these beauty treatments that last weeks on end. So they're, they're bathing in oils and perfumes. And I mean, this is like, you, you think a spa is an awesome experience? My goodness, she, she just has like, half a year of spa treatments. And finally, a long story short, he decides who he's going to pick to be the next queen. And lo and behold, it's Esther. Do you know that the way that God has made you, the, whether it's the way you look, the way you think, the way you have skills and gifts of the hands or gifts of the heart or gifts of the mind, they are there because those will be keys that will open doors for God to place you in the right place at the right time to accomplish the right purpose if you are willing to allow the right Lord over your life. And God wants you to discover that purpose. He wants you to, to be looking for it. And that's part of what we do here at this church is we, we believe that you're, you're shaped. There's no, you have spiritual gifts, a heart, abilities, personality, experiences that can all come together and make a difference. And that's what I believe with all of my heart for every single one of you that are here. And so in the midst of this story of Esther, a long story short, she comes to a point where word gets out to her from her uncle who lives in the streets. She's in the palace. And there's a man that wants to kill all of the Jews. Genocide started long before here. It started in Egypt. It continued in Iran. It continued in Russia. It was in Nazi Germany. They wanted to kill all of the Jews. And he was trying to get the king of, of Persia, the king of Iran, to approve a measure that would extinguish and wipe out every single Jew in the world at that time. And when he finds this out, he goes to his niece and says, Esther, I want you to listen very carefully to me because I can't do anything on the street. In fact, the very man who was trying to set up this genocide was the adversary of this man who happened to be the uncle of Esther in the palace. And he can't get anything accomplished with this man. He has no access to the king. This guy can go right into the king. And he says, God, this is going to take a miracle, but it's going to have to come through my niece, Esther. And it reads like this. He sent back this answer. Do not think because this is, this is, this is the uncle of Esther talking to, talking to Esther and challenging her, saying, do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. God always has a plan B, C, and D. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Discovering purpose. I want you to know something. You are here in your life, in this time period, in the places you're in, because you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are not an accident. 
I don't care how your parents came about having you, what they did after you were born. It is irrelevant. What God is looking for is for you to allow yourself to make, make available to him your life, your dreams, your desires, and saying, God, take me, do what you want with me. And you know what I come to find is, is that God can do things with your life and take you further than you ever could have imagined on your own. But purpose isn't this simple basic thing that you just, you just happen about it. God is very intentional, but he needs a willingness from you and I. Hold on one second. My, I just lost connection with my pro presenter. I don't know who's up there, but I'm going to have to do the disco thing. It just all of a sudden disconnected from it. So... All right, I'm going to be looking in the back. Yeah, here we go. Thank you very much. Let me, let me show you what purpose is with, without Christ at the center of your purpose. This is a, a, a famous photographer. His name is Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter was part of a group called the Bang Bang Club. He was a South African, and he was about trying to bring about to the world to show them the injustice of racism and apartheid around the world. In fact, without Kevin Carter, Nelson Mandela probably never would have had the traction to change the government in South Africa. And this group, the Bang Bang Club, they were going into dangerous areas, uh, photographing horrible, horrible things that, just, I, I, that people were doing to other people in the name of racism. And it was always Kevin Carter's desire. It was his dream. He believed his purpose was to be the greatest photographer of all time. Now, the highest medal of honor you can receive as a citizen of the United States is the Medal of Freedom. The highest medal that you can receive in the military is the Congressional Medal of Honor. The highest medal or accolade you can get as a photographer or a journalist is a Pulitzer Prize. And so one time when he was out there and his he was taking his photographs. He was covering the starvation in Ethiopia back in the 1980s. And there was this one moment where a little child, a young girl, was trying to get to one of the feeding stations, and she couldn't quite make it, and she collapsed down, curled up. And it was right at that moment that a vulture landed right behind her. And there, click, Kevin Carter took his Pulitzer Prize-winning photograph. Now, there's lots of stories about what happened. He was waiting for the bird to spread its wings. It never did, so he, he settled for that shot. Some people say he smoked a cigarette, kicked the bird away, and then took off. The, that's not true. What happened is, is they helped the kid get to the station. Uh, what became of that child, if they were able to survive, we don't know. But he did this. He submitted his photograph, and they said this is the most incredible image that captures the atrocity of starvation in Africa um, that is not even necessary. Any of you who are old enough to remember this thing called MTV might remember the concert that they did for raising money for Ethiopia, right? Okay, those of you that didn't, uh, don't shake your heads or you'll give your age away. But um, this was this. And here's the thing about Kevin. So after he got his Pulitzer and he got his notification for it, he sat down and he wrote a letter. One of his friends had been killed in the apartheid movement. He was murdered while trying to show and capture the images and show the world of the injustice and the racism and the murder that was going on. They killed him. 
he wrote a letter and he says, I go now to be with my friend. Hopefully I'm good enough to make it where he is. I've seen so much death, loss, loss, loss. And he finished the letter and he took his life. What's wrong with this? Now, we could talk about mental health, and I think that that was probably a bearing with it. We could talk about what happens when we've seen enough death to last three lifetimes. We could talk about all of those things, but what nobody ever talks about is, is what would the life of Kevin Carter been if it was within the hands of Jesus Christ? That the significance of his gift leveraged for the glory of God, the significance of his heart being in the right place where God could have sheltered him from those hearts. Listen, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're protected from, from pain and suffering and hurt and discouragement and depression and just open up the book of Jeremiah and you want to see somebody, what it looks like to walk through life depressed. Jeremiah is that guy, but it's somebody who at the same time is obedient. And what would Kevin Carter's life have been if he had understood that the purpose of his life was to glorify his heavenly father and to bring honor to him and to bring glory to him. And I sit back and I look at Kevin Carter's life and I look at I look at Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, that says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. You and I do not own our life. You can think of a thousand songs that say, it's my life. It's my, you know, it's my house. It's my way. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's a part of American culture that is so incredible. The idea of freedom, the idea of independence, but there's an aspect of it that fosters self-centeredness and self-directed lives that we forget that we're part of something greater and we're best together than when we try to do things our own way. Some of you that bought those lottery tickets when Mega Millions was over $480 million. By the way, once it hits $200 million, it's no longer sin. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, that would be the worst thing that would happen to your life. You know why? Because you would isolate yourself. Imagine if you were able to do everything the way you wanted. Sometimes the best place for you and I to be in is in a place of dependency with God. Some of you are discouraged and frustrated because you're not at the place financially where you wish you were. You know what? He gives us our daily bread. Some of you are in a place where you have resource, but you come to find that no matter how much resource you have, you're never going to have enough for another rental property, another business, another employee to hire, another, you know, raise. It, it, there's never enough or whatever, but God wants us to live our life at peace to say, God, you are Lord. You can bring a raise. You can bring pro prosperity. You can bring blessing. I trust you, but not my will. Thy will be done. And I wonder with Kevin Carter, what would have happened if he had realized that his purpose wasn't just to get the Pulitzer Prize and look over the grief and end his life, but that that would have been the beginning of an open door where he could have shared the loss and the sacrifice of his friend and the horror that he had seen. He could have probably moved an entire continent or two in a better direction if he was in the hands of God. 
Because God thinks multi-generationally. You see, you and I are here today, and we're thinking about the plans of our life, and, and, and we're thinking, you know, what, what is my purpose? And, you know, you think that I'm talking about your career or your educational path, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. And what's your purpose? And you're thinking about the immediate ministry that you're in, and you, or maybe the family that God has given me my family, and it's family first. You know, there are some people, they're so tight with their family, it's almost like family worship. Italians, they worship their mamas, man. It's crazy. But your family can be an idol in and of itself, you know? I mean, you, you, at the end of the day, what God wants is your heart. He wants you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be free. But then he wants you to discover that the per greatest purpose of your life is for you to offer your gifts, your abilities, and say, God, I'll work where I can work. I'll do what I can do. But I want you to know anywhere, anytime, any place, you give me purpose, Lord. I, you put me in a place. I'll, I will do your purposes. I will do your will. And I will make a difference in this world because I belong to you. One of the, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I always don't know what to do when people are clapping. And sometimes I even just stop that, stop. <laughs> I don't know why I do that, but, but uh, you're going to have to watch real close with me these days. So I want to show you purpose for my field of work. And I just felt stirred to share this with you. Oriana, are you here today? They're, they're probably on vacation. The, uh, Oriana Whalen, is she here today? She's on, the, she's on the alumni committee of Zion Bible College, which is now called North Point. But I want you to see just how God's purposes work. It's an incredible story. This is a woman, her name is Christine Gibson. She was from British Guyana, which is right in the northern part of South America. When she was down living in that country, she made her way to the United States. She got married. She was in Providence, Rhode Island. Her husband was an incredible Bible teacher, a great communicator, and she was just there doing her thing. This is an older picture of her, but when she was, she was young, she was quite the dish. And so she, as they say back in those times, she was a beautiful woman. Well, here's the thing about her. She was a woman of faith, and she was a woman of prayer, and she was a woman of God, and she would do what needed to be done, and, but, but if you'd ask her her purpose, what was the purpose of her life? She'd say, to do whatever God asked me to do, I'll do it, and she began to pray, and one day it was put on her heart. I, I, I don't know how God talks to you. Sometimes it's like a thought comes to me, and I hear it in my own voice and my own thinking, but I'm like, I'm not that smart to think that way, and that's how I know, all right, God's talking to me, right? And so I'm sitting there, she's sitting there, and she's praying, and all of a sudden, God says, I want you to start a Bible college, and I want you to call it Zion. And she did that name because it, in, in the Psalms, it talks about Zion, the joy of the whole earth. This school will be a blessing to every nation in the world. And she got excited, and she went up to her husband, and she said, honey, God's put on my heart to start a Bible college. And he goes, yeah, right. And they would fight and argue, right? Just like every one of us does with our spouse, right? You just got to learn how to fight fair. Um, but finally, she said, I just need $1,000 to start this. And they said they were going to New York. They were going to speak at a place. And, and so she said, if I get $1,000, if I get $1,000, then you promise me I can start that Bible college. He looked at her and he laughed. He goes, I'll tell you what. Now you're talking like, that's probably like $50,000 back then. Maybe more. I don't know. It, but he said to her, all right, if you get $1,000, you can start your college. 
And so they go to New York City. Her husband does some speaking, all the attention's on him. And then as they were done, they went over a lady's house and she was the hostess. And so she, she just uh, set out teaware and they had their great time. And they talked and, and as she was getting ready to go, as she was getting ready to leave, she was like, by the way, dearie, tell me about that. Before you go, tell me about that Bible college idea you had. She goes, well, it's funny you mention it because we need $1,000 to start this school. And uh, uh, if I don't get that, it probably isn't gonna start. And she goes, well, come here, dearie, hold on. She pulls out her checkbook and she goes, let me write you your first $1,000 check here for your Bible college. And she took it and she looked at her husband and said, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they went back. Now for the longest time, for years and years, this school was was working in and out of the church. She walked in as they were doing an expansion project in this church, Zion Gospel Temple, which would be the base for where the Bible college initially would start. And as she walks in, she sees a vision. Now, I don't know how visions happen with most people. I would say, I could honestly say, I've probably had a few in my life where uh, I've had dreams and I knew it was God speaking to me. I've had metaphors or picture ideas in my head, thinking just like a thought God gives me. But she was standing there, and the way that it's described is, is that the whole place that was in front of her was no longer there. It was the same room. It was filled with people, and there was a casket in the front, and it was her husband. She was younger at this time. And they had three murals that they were painting on the back wall, the first one, they said, we're going to be centered on the scriptures. That's why we preach through books of the Bible, how, why we've been going through Luke and we're just taking some randoms this summer. But they said, search the scriptures. The second one was a no-brainer. They put the cross there and said, it is finished. But the third and final image of this mural was missing. And as she was standing there, the whole image of everything disappeared and they asked her, they said, what should we paint in the last mural? She said, paint the cup of Gethsemane and the words, your will be done. See, she thought she would just get things going with the school, but her husband was the teacher. Her husband was the, the communicator. But she said, Lord, I will drink the cup of suffering. You know, God's purposes for our life doesn't mean that he is going to go out of his way and ultimately protect us from everything bad in life. Sometimes the squeeze of difficulty and suffering brings out the juice of greatness in our life. The way that the anointing oil that they would anoint kings and people with the signification of God's presence came because somebody took a stone and applied massive pressure to an olive so that oil would pour out of it. Sometimes it's in the crushing that God's blessing comes out of us. You and I, we look at life and we think every bad thing is a bad thing. Not necessarily. There are some good things that come in, into my life when I lose somebody that's dear to me, when I watch somebody that I care about and their life is withering, where God can squeeze something out of that that's beautiful. That's, everybody talks about the anointing. The anointing can sometimes come through great suffering. Finding God's purpose doesn't mean that you lose earth's pain, but she did it. 
Here's the crazy thing about that. Years later, the pre the, they had another president come in. And this president came to the school and said, I want to buy that campus in Barrington, Rhode Island. Now, this is a tiny, tiny, there's audio to this, but please don't do the audio. But I want to show you a flyover of this because you're not going to believe this. They walked in. They didn't have money. They didn't have a hope. They didn't have a prayer. Adam, I'm going to defer to you on this one. And I want you just to see a, a, a drone view of this place. This is when I came into this campus. And it literally is an entire castle complex. It's like take a castle, take a uh, mansion from Newport and drop it in Barrington, Rhode Island. And that's literally where my son's where I went to school, where my sons grew up, we were on the top floor, the third floor of this section as it's raising up. The top left and right corner up there, that was ours. The pool was crystal clear and perfect, no weeds. This is obviously outdated. My son and I, my wife and Ethan, my son Andrew and I, for about three or four years when I was beginning to work with the Bible College, got to live in a castle. This is the purposes of God. A woman back in the 1920s has God speak to her and say, I want to start a Bible college. And she says, Lord, not my will, your will be done. Somebody says, I need $1,000. Somebody writes a check and does it. If she wasn't listening, if she wasn't praying, if she wasn't available to God, we may never have had this school that to date has gone into almost every single country in the world with people who have even given their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that eternity is going to be filled with people because a woman, a young woman, a refugee from the country of Guyana that came to the United States dared to believe that God could take her insignificant life and do something with great purpose. And I dare to say this, God can do the same with you. You don't have to be a great dreamer. You don't have to be a great schemer. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be completely all together. You don't even need to be all there like me. God wants purpose from your life. He wants to change the world through you. He wants to change your family through you. If you would make yourself completely his, he could do it. If you really can pray that prayer, not my will, thy will be done. Well, what's funny about this is, is that just when you thought the school was over, the story continued. Listen, you and I have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. It is his kingdom come. You are not an accident. You are not all roughed up and in the corner ready to throw the talon. Your greatest fight is still in you. And it might not be with your fists. It might be with your heart. It might be with your hands. It might be with your head. But God has a purpose for you. Don't you think for a second just because you were an accidental birth and your parents became accidental parents that your life was an accident. It's not an accident. God knows who you are. You were born for a purpose and for a reason. And if you would just simply go through your life in an ordinary way and make yourself available to the one who is supernatural, God can cause purpose to take place because you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. There goes that awkward clapping again. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know what to do with that. I know this with all of my heart, with everything within me. I remember 
going to Barrington College because Gordon Conwell was gonna purchase it. My friend was the president, at that time he was the dean of Gordon Conwell, he's now the president of Biola, Barry Corey, and I, Gordon Conwell was thinking about purchasing it, and, and then all of a sudden we heard maybe the school was going to buy it. And it was at this time that Zion Bible College, just when they thought that its purpose was done, a man by the name of David Green walked into the scene. David Green is the owner of Hobby Lobby. How many of you have ever shopped in Hobby Lobby around here? Doggone Hobby Lobby. Caused me to go broke all the time. Thank you, Diana, my wife. <laughs> they got some really cool stuff. They've also got a lot of money. And more importantly, he said, I didn't know how to be a minister, but I knew how to be a businessman. And he committed his life to business and he turned around with that business mind, made so much money that in order to keep half of it, he's got to give half of it away constantly. And he said, what about that Bible college up in Rhode Island? What if we help them bridge to a new campus? The Bible college was in such bad shape, the cafeteria, it had a flat roof so water would pool, and it was the only place where it would rain inside on a sunny day. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. So they come in and they purchase this campus. It's got, it's, you can see it in it Bradford. Bradford College was the original campus. They've got a section there called Hasseltine Hall. Now, just when you think like it's over, God steps in with a greater purpose for this place. Right? He steps in. He brings a man who has more money than he knows what to do with what he does is, is he says, I'm going to sell this campus. I'm going to help you sell that campus. They were $4 million short. He said, here's $4 million. We'll cover the difference. Then he turned around. He bought the other campus for, I think it was like $6 million or $11 million. I don't know. But they, lots of millions. And then he threw another like 6 to $9 million into renovating the entire facility because it dates back as one of the older colleges in America. In fact, if you go to downtown Bradford and you drive through in the green area where there's a like a middle open area that's there, straight ahead to the right is one of the older taverns in America. And in that tavern is where Bradford College started until eventually they purchased this facility and they built it. Now here's the irony of God. I'm going somewhere with this. <clears throat> God speaks to a woman says, start a Bible college. It was a time where it wasn't very favorable for women to take initiative. Thank goodness, thank God for women of initiative. So, so yeah, hey, I appreciate you. I will follow a woman who has giftings in any direction if God is Lord of their life. I, 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 I bow to your greatness. Like, I have no problem with that. But here, God wanted to bless the face of the earth. And how ironic that when they go to this college, they bring in a man, Charles Crabtree, one of the greatest men I ever worked for in my entire life. He was the vice president of all of the Assemblies of God uh, for the longest period of time. And they come in, they pay off all the debt. The school is set in this incredible setting. It just seems like Camelot. It's just, I, I can't even describe what it was like being there at that time. What a lot of people don't know is that the history of this school, this building, Hasseltine Hall, is named after Anne Hasseltine. Her father was the 
president of this school back in the mid, uh, back in the late 1700s. And it was at this time that a young man by the name of Adoniram Judson, you can't quite capture in, in sketch what was in photography, but trust me, they were good looking. They go in and he says to this man's, to this man, Adoniram, says to this woman's father, who's the president of this school at that time, I want to marry your daughter, but I am going on the mission field. At this time, while people had come to the United States to bring the gospel, to reach the Native Americans, the United States had yet to ever send anybody from the U.S. to the foreign mission field. And he said, to the, he said to her father, I feel God is asking me to go to the golden shores of Burma, to the country of Burma, and to share the gospel. Burma's kind of like somewhere between China and India. Just That's about as good as I can do it for you. Is that close enough? That kind of hits it? Good. All right. Uh, so let me read to you the letter that I used to always read to all of my students in the room where the father received this letter at the college right in Bradford College. I have now to ask you, this is Adoniram, the man asking her father for her hand in marriage. I have now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and Heatherland and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of ocean to the fatal influence of southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the accumulation of praise which shall resound to her savior from the heathen saved through her means from eternal, power, uh, for, from eternal woe and despair. If so, may I marry your daughter? How many of you'd be like, oh no, you are not marrying my daughter, <laughs> right? Some people look at them and say, how much do you make? Adoniram was a man of purpose. And I, I can't even tell you how many times I've read that letter standing in the very place where he read it. It's a cafeteria now upstairs, but it was the president's office. Only God, only God could put it on the heart of a simple young woman from another country who came to Providence, Rhode Island who needed $1,000 that gets it in order to do something that she thought would be easy, but says, not my will, thy, be, thy will be done, and does it and goes the distance without her husband, who steps into the purposes of God as he hands them to her and watches God build a great school that just when you thought it was over, it reignites itself and purchases a campus. Then all of a sudden, when you thought it was over, it reignites itself 
and it renews itself in another campus. And now I believe God still has purpose for that school, but we'll, we'll need to watch and see. It needs to be in the hands of people that say, not my will, thy will be done. And if and that they end up in a school that they purchase that is connected 150 to 200 years before them that was the birthplace of modern missions in America. Only God does that. And these kind of things are happening with astrophysicists. This is happening with people in chemistry. This is happening with people like David Green in the field of marketing and business. You see, God is not looking for everyone to just leave and go to a Bible college full-time and do that. What God is looking for is for people to say, Lord, my purpose comes from your plan and my life is in your hands, not my will. Your will be done. I want to know my purpose. I have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you may feel like you are insignificant. You may feel like you may not have much to contribute, but you have no idea what God can do, the echoes he can bring, the reverberation he can bring, the world has yet to see, according to, this was C.H. Spurgeon, I think, or maybe it was D.L. Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do with a life that is fully yielded to him. Oops, because that's the clause. Are you fully yielded to him? Are you really? Or is your image of who you are yielded to him? That's hard. Trust me when I tell you, for your life to be completely yielded to God, this thing of discovering purpose, it's no wonder why we're stalled out in our church growth. Because when you come to, uh, and we're, we're not growing plants here, we're growing people, but we're stalled out because this thing of stepping into the third phase that some of you have kind of hovered over for a long time of, of discovering purpose and making a difference, this one costs you. This costs you to give up your selfish pleasures and desires, your selfish pursuits, and to begin to bring them and say, God, your will be done. You see, it's really not as hard as we think. It's not like God wants you to take a battle ax to every dream and desire that you have. In fact, some of those dreams and desires that are in you, if they line up with scripture and it doesn't cause you to live and accomplish through a life of sin, when you bow the knee before God and you say, Lord, you know, I really would love to have this place, this house, live in this city, do this degree, get, get this kind of career or whatever. God's like, yes, yes. But what he's looking for is, is as you're living that out, that you're bowing the knee and saying, God, I'm available to you. Use me for your purpose. You see, you guys are the army for God. God can accomplish more behind the scenes with a conversation from you that, that, that opens up a door inside somebody's head, that opens up a door inside somebody's heart, that is influenced by somebody else way over here. That You see, God is a master orchestrator of a plan, and it just doesn't all depend on you and me, thank God, but yet it does depend on you and I to be in a place where we pay the price to be willing to discover purpose and make a difference instead of making your nails and making your money and making your advancements. Nothing's wrong with those. But God wants you as you take those steps to say, Lord, I bring this before you. You can close the door. You can give me a lack of peace and I'll shut the door for you. Lord, you can give me confidence and I'll walk through it. Not my will, your will be done. 
Some of you remember Mark Gardner that was here recently. Uh, I love him. He's my favorite human being. Right there, the kid next to him has no legs. The reason he has no legs is because of a landmine. The country of Angola where he was, him and I initially met and worked together was one of the, they put the war in warlord. They loaded the country with landmines in the 70s. The earth and the ground shifted. The UN can't even find where all of them are. By the way, a lot of people don't know this, but Bonal from U2 is responsible for moving almost as many landmines as the UN is in trying to help that country. He is, he is a, he's a good man. But there were kids, they didn't have the polio vaccination there. They, they, uh, he, so he's like, God, I, I, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. So what he did was, is he started soccer tournaments with kids who had hit it with their hand. He said, Lord, I'm called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Uh, there's something I can do that nobody else can do. I make myself available to you. So he starts these soccer tournaments with kids. And along on the team comes one of the members. His name's Paulu. And you're going to see right here an older version of me. That's what I look like with black hair. I know things get better with age. Yeah. Let me tell you something about Paulu. Let me tell you something about purpose. Let me tell you something about Esther and risking your life and being called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Palu, and, and let me just say this, especially for those of you that are here from the Democratic Republic of Congo, this will probably mean more to you and those of you that have come from Kenya in this area will know where I'm going with this. This is actually a testimony of God's incredible redeeming grace. Palu is a spy. He was trained by the Mossad, the Israeli Mossad. He was trained by the United States CIA. He was pretty much, if you watch Jason Bourne, you begin to get an idea of who this guy was. That's, that's who he was. And his, his main area of expertise was espionage. And he was in his home country in the Democratic Republic of Congo, his uncle, was the dictator of that country, Mobuto Seseko. That man put the war in warlord. He wiped out the Christian church. He had a pit in front of his palace with lions in it. And if you came in and they didn't like what you had to say, they would kick you into the pit and you would be mauled to death. Palu, as he was living his life, came to Christ and he went to his uncle and he said, I can't do this anymore. I can't be a part of this. I, I, and his uncle said, there is no can't do. And so it was at that moment, Paulo knew he had to leave the country. He ran, the, he ran out of the country. He was able to escape. And that night, the entire government flipped. His uncle and everyone in the regime was killed. Had he stayed there, he would have been killed. He landed in South Africa. When he came in there, South African intelligence is pretty intelligent. They knew exactly who he was. They said, you cannot stay here. You need to go. He's fluent in uh, French. And so he just was, he's uh, also able to speak Portuguese um, and English. And so he was like, I don't know where to go. And he just said, I'll go to the worst place in Africa. I'll go to Angola. Angola, as he headed towards Angola, this is what God spoke to his heart. Palu. I'm going to take everything about you and I'm going to use it to protect one of my missionaries that's here. Palu walks in to South Africa 
are from South Africa. He leaves South Africa. He lands in Angola, Africa, not knowing what to do, wandering around, and he sees Mark Gardner, this tall white guy, and he says, how you doing? Bon dia, or whatever you guys say in Portuguese. I don't know. My Portuguese is terrible. Abrigado, tudo bem. <laughs> That's all I know. Um, he shakes his hand, and he says, are you the missionary? He said, well, yes, I am. He says, where you go, I go. In the time that they were there, there was, it was like right out of Jason Bourne. They were in one part of the city. The war still had not finished. It was still taking place, and this man was in that country. While he was in there, a, a, a mortar attack was taking place on two parts of the city. They had a tiny window to get back to the compound where they were. Had no idea how in the world they were going to do it. He's there with his wife, his daughter, who's about like eight years old at that time. And then Paulo says, will you move over? He goes, yes. He moves him over. He takes out the map. I mean, he does a Jason Bourne look at it. He goes, Boom. If you know anything about some of the roads in African countries like this, there are no roads. There's just potholes. And so he hits it. Boom. They're doing 90 airborne all over the place. He's going. And then they pull in into the mission station safe. That was Palu saying, take who I am and use it for your glory. There was another time where his daughter was playing outside, the missionary's daughter was playing outside, there was a crossfire between two of the opposing forces and they're full on in the middle of a machine gun fight. I mean, there's like hundreds of people shooting back and forth and Palu runs right into the middle, picks her up, runs across the way, takes her out and brings her completely to safety. Every single week for the 10 years that they were there, do you know what Palu did? He picked up kids who couldn't walk because polio took that ability away from them and kids who lost their legs because of the war. And he picked them up and he brought them to this camp and he shared the love of Jesus with them. And every once in a while, that skill set that God had given him, he used for such a time as this. What does purpose look like in your life? What does it look in my life? Listen, I don't know the details of who you are. I don't know your gifts. I don't know your strengths. I don't know your weaknesses, but I know this. You have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are not an accident. You are not just a klutz of, 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 of the culture. You have purpose. But the only way that you find that purpose is by continually making yourself available to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you quit your life and go to Bible college. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you give everything away. It doesn't mean that you are going to die a terrible missionary death or anything like that. What it does mean is as you're, as you're raising your children, as you're building your career, as you're, develop, as you're developing your portfolio, as you're going through life that every Every day you give yourself to Jesus and you say, Lord, I am not an accident. I am a purpose. I am a part of the plan of God. Not my will. Your will be done. Use my mouth today to speak to somebody. Encouragement if you need it. Use me to share Jesus with somebody if you have to. Help me change someone's tire on the side of the road if, if, if it's available to me. Stop me and be able to acknowledge the hurt that I can see all over somebody's face if they're sitting there and there's nobody around them. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. 
mistake. You're made by God. Your hands are his. Your feet can be his. Your heart can be his. Your mind can be his. Your mouth can be his. You have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And it's time that you gave him everything. I'm going to just skip through. Well, no, I'm not going to skip through this. You recognize that guy? Brian Griswold. He was here. His daughter shared. This is one of my first mentors. One of my first mentors. My most beloved mentor. Brian, I don't know if Dylan, next time you talk to him, just tell him I shared this. I don't miss your counseling. I miss your friendship. I miss you. And I want an invite to your estate, by the way. Brian is one of the great children's ministers in the history of New England. Probably the only person to equal him would have probably been D.L. Moody. Uh, so much so that Children's Ministry Magazine called him in and, uh, and did an interview with him of what they were doing because uh, he started a ministry called, go forward one more, we'll come back to that. We started a ministry called Inner City Ministries. He became a missionary. This church actually, I think, supported him. And he went into the inner city of Providence we went to places where the police didn't want to go. You ever been to places like that? My goodness. It was rough. We had, we had times where someone would walk around the corner. There was one time where there was a guy with a brick bashing a kid's head in, and it was like all the kids just, I never saw kids with survival skills like that. They just know when to disappear and when to scatter. And, and we would go around every week and hand out flyers. And sometimes the door opened, there'd be drugs, there'd be guns there. They'd be like, what do you want? And we'll be like, uh, Yogi Bear Sunday School, the kids. Oh, okay, good. Don't let them grow up like us. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll work on that. You got to work with us on this though. Help us out here. And we went through and there were over 50,000 children in the state of Rhode Island. Our mission was that we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every child in Rhode Island. That they, It is better, listen to me, it is better to build children than repair men. If church is optional for you, it will be discarded by your children. It's time for you to turn your game up. If you have, if you have a plan for your kids and you have a hope for your children, you need to double down in your own life or it, I can tell you exactly how it's gonna go. And we would go into the places, nobody else would go in at this time, Brian, Brian was in one place called Chad Brown, and he kept inviting me to come and share and work with him. And I'm telling you, it was the most natural, synchronous team leadership I ever had in my entire life. We would finish each other's sentences. It was just, we taught. Whenever we taught, we didn't team teach. Like, like I would speak and then he would speak. I mean, we'd finish each other's sentences. We would have sometimes on special events as many as 500 children inside this, the, the rec center at, at Yogi Bear Sunday School. And we'd go through and we'd yell, Yogi! Kids would be like, Bear Sunday School, go to school, don't be a fool. Yogi, Bear. It was like the Pied Piper and 500 kids would come out and we would just get them to, 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 to we would pray, play, praise, pre, pay, pray, play, pay. We, we shook those kids down for money. Yes, we did. Uh, it's not how much you give, it's that you give, right? And so we wanted to teach them the value of that. Pray, play, pay, praise, preach God's word. And we would send them on their way. Some people said, you guys bring the happiest hour into these kids' life every week. And all of a sudden, I remember as I was working with Brian, it was going great. Let's go back one slide. I picked up the newspaper and I cut this out. I have this laminated because I never want to forget it. A young boy, 
young boy, Ricardo Aponte, was in one of the housing projects we were not in. And in simple, his uncle had a fit of rage and beat the kid to death. And I said to Pastor Brian, I said, Pastor Brian, we've got to do more. I said, we've got to get into Hartford Park. We've got to get into Wiggins Court. We've got to get into Manton Avenue projects. We got, and it was, it was this that lit a fire in me where all of a sudden God says, if one sets a thousand to flight, two set 10,000, all of a sudden we went from one to three sites. We were in three sites on a regular basis, reaching children, making a difference in their life. And I'll never forget the drive that that put in me, but also the dread that would come from it. Now, this is the largest mountain we have to offer on the East Coast, Mount Washington. Some of you, this is like, I can't wait to hike this mountain. I can't wait to, this mountain has totally different significance for me. See, when I say that we were in the inner city, we were in the inner city. Although I, I'm not a stranger to suffering. I'm not a stranger to violence. I'm not a stranger to, to addiction. I'm not a stranger to any of those things. I don't know it all, but I know far more than I wish I did. We had kids that were at a very young age getting pressured to join gangs, to be runners, because if the kids get busted, they get treated, they get charged as a juvenile instead of as an adult. And so they would use them as runners for drugs and they'd show up. Yogi Bear Sunday School was like a tug of war with the gangs. One day, one of the kids reached into his closet, to his uncle's closet, and he took a gun. And he was just laughing. It was a kid and it was a stupid moment. But he laughed and he pointed at his cousin and I don't know, I think, I just don't think he knew it was loaded. And he pulled it and he shot his cousin in the head and he killed him. And in his grief, he took the gun and he turned it on his own head and everybody screamed, no. The people that were there were like, no, don't. And he pulled the trigger. And the tragedy of this is that his cousin who he shot recovered and he didn't. And we thought, my goodness, if we were just, just one more child, just one more family, just one more, like, God, help me to make a difference. Are you, what are you waiting for? For God to come down and with a, with a high definition television and write your name and what are you waiting for to give him that? last part of you to say, God, I want to make a difference for you. It doesn't mean you go to Bible college and you suffer and all that. It means that you get to see God do some of the greatest things you ever thought possible in your life because he can take you further in his hands than you could in your ambition and drive ever could. And I lost it. I totally lost it. I hopped in my car and I'm telling you, I couldn't even... I don't remember how I got here to this place, to this image, but somehow I drove the four hours from Rhode Island to Mount Washington and it was just a blur. I was like, and everything within me, every bit of rage and confusion and grief and agony just boiled in my heart. I was so sick of seeing so many kids taken 
And I just, in rage, I just started running up the, the mountain. I just ran. And I was at a, di I had my, not only was my hair color different, but my, my physique was different. I, I was always a good runner. I just, I, I'm telling you, I ran until I couldn't run anymore. And I fell down on the ground and into the, into the, into the dust of Mount Washington. I just cried and I said, God, I can't do this. This is too much. I can't take this. I can't live with this. I can't, like, I, I need to just, I, I just can't. I need you to give me the out. And I'll never forget this. And remember, when God speaks to me, it's more like an idea comes into my head. It's my voice or whatever, but I know it's too smart for it to be me. And he just says to me, Paul, if you walk away from all of this and never do ministry ever again, I want you to know I will not bless your life less. And I sat there and I was like, what? I mean, I'm waiting for this pep talk from God of like, you know, man up, buck up. He said, Paul, if you walk away from this, I promise not to bless your life any less. And something renewed inside of me. I said, but I don't want to walk away from this. I don't want to just take care of myself. I want to make a difference. I want to impact the 50,000 children of this city. I want one less child getting shot. I want one more kid entering the kingdom. I want to do your will, God. And I can just picture God in heaven just kind of nodding and smiling. And I climbed down off that mountain and I hopped back in my car and I drove back and I did that. And I've come to find this about purpose and being called to the kingdom for such a time as this. The names and faces change, the assignments change, but the purpose never does. It's to make Jesus known in this world, in this place, in this planet, in a play group, in a, that the love of God, it doesn't have to be wrapped in Christianese language that some people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and that you just make yourself available to him. And that's what I want to do this morning here before we break and, and, and eat and connect when you go here today, I want you to ask somebody their story. Please make a friend. We need that. I want you to, when we have our cookout up there, I want you to just say, hey, what's your story? Listen to somebody, make a friend, somebody that's different from you. But before we do that, I want us to make a dedication to Jesus. I want to make a difference. It's changed through the years. It's teaching at a Bible college, youth pastoring in a church, going back to children's ministry in another church, me pastoring in this church. One of the great honors of my life is to be your pastor, all 320 of you. Numbers mean nothing. Significance means everything. You can either wander through this life or you can be significant with it and intentional with it. But in order for that to happen, you need to give your life and availability to Jesus. And that's what I'd like to do is if we could stand across this room and that we would just do that right where we are. Holy Spirit, you're the one that the Father left when Jesus ascended. Your presence and your peace, you're the one that's here.
You're like the wind. We can't see you, but we can feel your influence. Lord, right now, there are many people in here that have, we could take a year of trying to unpack the complexity of our life, but it really just comes down to one purpose. It might not be convenient. It might come with risk. It might even come with danger like it did for Esther, but for us, that we would realize that we have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this, that we want to discover purpose. And that means we need to look for it. And so Lord, give us eyes of eternity, that when we close our eyes and we open them, that eternity would be written across them, that we would see this life and our life's purpose to know you and make you known, to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference like us. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the blessing over our food that we're going to have our weeks that we're going to face, our year that we're going to enter. And we give you most of all ourselves. We say, like Isaiah did, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to just take a minute and... Uh, I don't know what to do at this moment. This is the part where a pastor's like, now's the time to fill the altar, make my ego feel good and see you all up here. <laughs> How many of you would say God spoke to you today? God's speaking to me, God's speaking to me. Thank you, thank you. I think if you give this thought, I'd encourage you to read the story of Esther too this week or listen to it on, on an app. Let God speak to you. Say, God, your will be done. I'm here for this purpose. All right, we're going to dismiss you at this time as quietly as Boaz plays. And uh, some of you need to go, but most of you, you've got, we've got food set up upstairs and um, you can check in with your kids and grab them. And we look forward to spending some time with you. I'm going to go get in my Fenway wear. God bless you as you go. Thanks for the honor of being your pastor. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you missed any part of this sermon or you want to catch it again, you can do so by going to Apple Podcast, YouTube, or Spotify. And I also encourage you to go to lolag.org or ne-cc.org if you want to stay up to date on everything we have going on. God bless, and we'll see you next week.